0: Hope, you are fundamentally hardwired for hope. I don't know if you understand this or not or think about this, but everything you do, you make every decision based on hope. The happiest times of your life are times that are filled with great hope, and your hardest times in your life are times that are filled when hope is dashed to pieces. So we are built this way by God. What is hope? Hope is this. Hope is always, we're always hoping and asking for something. Hope is an object and it is an expectation. Expectation. We tend to look for hope in many wrong places. This is just our natural fallen human tendency. And that's why we spend a lot of our lives disappointed is because the hope that we hoped for doesn't work out. You know, I have this fantasy in my mind of preparing dinner for my family. And as the smell of this delicious dinner wafts through the house, my children rise up and say, Oh, blessed are we among children of the earth, for our Father hath prepared for us a delicious banquet. And then I fantasize, they come into the kitchen. Father, thank you. Blessed are we to have you, such a culinary artist, at the helm of the, of the stove. Thank you for this bountiful feast which you have prepared. And then we sit down at the table, and they just savor every delicious bite. And the reality happens, and they're, we have to drag them off, sometimes turn off the Internet, whatever's going on, drag them into the room. What's this? Who made this? Why are we having this? And then when they put it in their mouths, it looks like somebody put uh, some sort of poison on the food just before they came in, or at least something that d- tastes disgusting, and their faces crunch up and they spit it out. See, we tend to attach our hopes to things that can't deliver. I want us to look this morning at Isaiah 59. And in Isaiah 59, we're going to look at hope and hopelessness at Christmas. Um, Let me outline this before I read this morning because I think it's important to understand what's going on. Ancient Israel has returned from Babylon. This may be, when the prophet is on the scene here, the darkest moment In ancient Israel history, they've returned to a Jerusalem where the walls are broken and fallen from the war where they were taken. Their homes have been destroyed. There is no government. There is no police. It is basically anarchy in the streets. Somebody steals or takes from you, good luck. There is no judge or judicial system to help you. It's from these ashes, though. God had made a promise but the people here are thrust into darkness and into chaos and here's what we're going to see when darkness and chaos and those moments are thrusted into our lives what you truly place your hope in emerges clearly in those dark chaotic moments and for Israel Gone are the days of David where they had military conquest and victory after victory. They are a defeated people returning from a defeated war where they had lost. Gone are the days of Solomon where the richness and the glory days and the golden overlaid temple, all gone. No temple. All the things that were the creature comforts that they once enjoyed and found some hope and comfort in Are gone. And here we are. Isaiah steps on the scene. Let's let's look at this. This this chapter basically breaks down into four sections. The first one begins with a false charge. In verse 1, there is a false charge from the people to God, the people are charging God with something. Verses 2 through 8 are a divine accusation. God is using the prophet to speak an accusation against the people of Israel. Verses 9 through 15 are a very important confession. And then verses 16 through 20 is God's answer and divine intervention and really a prophecy of Christmas to come. So let's look at these verses together and let's unpack this a bit. The Christmas story is itself a hope story, isn't it? It's hope created, hope lost, and hope restored. The second thing may sound a little bit confusing to you, but we we have to look at this a little more closely. Before I go too far into this, I want to say a few things about hope. Okay? Uh, there, There are some things we need to think about. First one, as I said, Christmas is a story of hope. Second thing is the doorway to hope is hopelessness. The doorway to hope is hopelessness. The third thing is that in order for something to be hope and to have hope, it must be reliable, it must be trustworthy, it must fix the deepest broken things In our life, hope must address our biggest, deepest, darkest dilemmas in order for it to be hope. Otherwise, it ceases to be hope. And the fourth thing is this. Hope is not a situation. Hope is not a location. Hope is not an experience. Hope is a person, namely Jesus Christ. Okay? So let's unpack this this morning. Verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. So in this first verse, what we have happening here, as I said, the people are thrust into this dark, chaotic moment in Israeli's history, and the first thing that they are tempted to say is to look up at the heavens and to blame God for the situation that is at hand. We are a country that loves protest. Have you ever noticed that? You can turn on the news and you can find protest after protest on the news. Why do we love protest? Because at a protest, you get to wag your finger at the other guy and say, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. Have you ever seen a protest where somebody's holding a sign with an arrow pointing down at the top and says, it's me, I'm the problem? Nobody will get behind that, will they? (laughs) That, That is what we're talking about here this morning. This is what the people are doing. They say, God, you are either too weak to help us or you're not listening to us. It is you. And maybe you have prayed a prayer like this. Maybe in the throes of darkness of night, when you are dealing with the most chaotic, broken, dark moments of your life, you have cried out in the middle of the night, God, do you not hear me? God, can you not help me? That's the accusation here, okay? This is the reality of it, though. Sometimes we think that because things are not going the way that we expect or that we think they should, that God has somehow left us or that God is not blessing us or that God is not uh, fulfilling his promises to us. But here is the reality. Remember Amos chapter 4. We went through that back in the summer, right? In chapter 4, all throughout chapter 4, what does the prophet say using the lips of Amos from the very lips of God? But you did not return to me. But you did not return to me. But you did not return to me over and over in Amos chapter 4. See, here's the reality of it. The hard, dark situations in your life, the worst moments of your life, are not God withdrawing his presence from you. They are not God not fulfilling his promises to you. They are not God not caring for you. Don't make this mistake, beloved. They are actually tools of God's uncomfortable grace. You see, often God comes to us in uncomfortable forms. Yesterday, I went to see my mentoring pastor, my father in the ministry, Pastor Vic Wallace. Vic is much slower now than he used to be. He's approaching 90 years old. And we went to be a spot of encouragement before Christmas because his son passed away unexpectedly back in August, his only child. That was supposed to be taking care of him right now in his latter years. And he hobbled into his room. We gave him the chocolates. He loves chocolates, by the way. We gave him the chocolates and different things we had got him. And he broke down. And he said, Travis, this will be the saddest Christmas ever. And I said, Vic, you're right. And I reminded him, I said, listen, your pain does not mean that God has not heard you or that he is not with you. You see, the difference between the person in pain at Christmas time and the person not in pain, both people are dependent on the Lord. But the person in deep pain is more aware of how real God is and how dependent they are over the one who is not in pain. He looked at me and he said, That's right, Travis. No, beloved. Don't mistake God's uncomfortable grace for God not being there. Verse 2 here. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, and so he does not hear. He goes on to say here, right? I am not the problem. I am not the one who has pulled away. It is you. Who have pulled from me you know <clears throat> we sometimes talk in terms of things being bad like oh that's a bad marriage there's no such thing as a bad marriage there are people who do bad things in marriages but there is no such thing as a fundamentally bad marriage there's no such thing as a bad neighborhood the last time I checked a neighborhood never stabbed anybody there are bad people in neighborhoods, but there's no such thing as a bad neighborhood. I remember there was a uh, mayor for Philadelphia who was uh, classically, like, politically incorrect, and he would do these, like, once a week press interviews, and, and it was around election time, and they said, what are you going to do about all the street crime, all the, the street crime that's going on in Philadelphia? And he said, the last time I checked, streets don't commit crime. People do. Next question. and Just moved on. <laughs> we tend to think that it is the place, that it is the other person, that it is the circumstances. But it could not possibly be me. And in this language here, in Isaiah 59, what God is communicating through the prophet is this. There is something fundamentally dark and broken inside of God's people, inside of us inside of you and inside of me. It is dark and it is broken. Let me look at some of these words that is used to describe this brokenness inside of us. There are several words that he uses, at least three, unless you'd be tempted to just kind of look at words like this and, and give Sunday school Pat answers that... No Sunday school's really impressed with, no Sunday school teachers really impressed with, right? What's the answer? Jesus. It's like everybody gets popsicles or whatever. No, listen. You're, you would be tempted, I think, sometimes to do a surface-level reading of this passage and see the words like iniquity, transgression, and sin, and just think bad stuff. Let me bring clarity to what these words mean so you understand what's broken and how dark we truly are. The word iniquity. Do you know what it means? It means moral uncleanness. Here's here's what it means. At a very fundamental level, your motivations for doing good are not pure. That at some level or multiple levels there is a selfish reason driving your motivation to do good. It's much like the TV show I watched years ago, Lost. Did anybody watch that show? It was a bewildering experience. But anyway, there's a scene in the show Lost where these guys show up and they're all confused how they got to this island that nobody can apparently get to or get out of. And the guys look at them and say, Don't worry. We're the good guys. And the cast member looks back at them and says, usually good guys don't have to say that they're the good guys. It's a good point. It's a mess stuff conscience. You don't have, Here's here's what this word means. Iniquity means this your moral compass is messed up. And you're so messed up that you can't, you don't even have the tools to do proper analysis to see how badly your moral compass is messed up. That's what iniquity is. Are you with me? Transgression is the next word the prophet uses. What does the word transgression mean? Transgression means high handed rebellion against God. Here's what transgression is transgression is knowing what the word of God says or knowing what the law says. And doing it anyway not just doing it anyway not caring in the least that you did it anyway let me, make, let me see if I can give you an illustration to make this clear the moment you parked in the do not park zone which was clearly labeled and yellow striped that is transgression you know what it says and you did it anyway and you didn't care here's another one When you yelled at your spouse this morning and you knew it was wrong to yell in anger or at your children, you did it anyway and you didn't care. That's transgression. The third word, sin. What does the word sin mean? It's an archer's term. It means to miss the bullseye or to miss the mark. Have you ever seen these motivational posters? They're like, have a picture of an eagle on there and it says, leadership, soar with the eagles and reach your potential or whatever. They're really, I think they're terrible. (laughs) They're dumb, I hate them. I'm yet to meet a person that says, hang on a minute, I need some help to get through my day and just stares at one of those posters (laughs) I'm ready now. Like I've never met anybody that's able to do that. It don't make sense to me. I'm like, who came up with this? This is dumb. Anyway, there's a company that makes demotivation posters, which are the opposite of the motivational posters, and I think they're hilarious. And when I when I think about the word sin, there's this one demotivation poster I always think of. And it's an archer's, you know, target. And there's an arrow which is split by a second arrow and the second arrow is split by a third arrow and it is barely on the target nowhere near the bullseye and it says consistency only a virtue if you're not a (laughs) screw-up so here's what this means here's what sin is it's the archer pulling back the arrow at the target with his on his best day with his best bow and his best arrows or her best arrows, whatever, and releasing those targets and hitting the same mark nowhere near the bullseye every time over and over and over and over. Here's what sin is. It is you trying on your best day with your best efforts to keep the word and the law of God and failing consistently every single time. Do you see the brokenness that's inside of us now? We are full of iniquity. We are transgressors. We are sinful people. Now, once God has highlighted this, you're at a fork in the road. Yogi Berra used to say, the old baseball player for the the Yankees, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Some of you will get that later. Anyway, (laughs) you have two options. God has said, it's not me, it's you. What are your options? Your options are either to dig into your flesh and continue to wag your finger at God and to find a new spouse, find a new church, find a new pastor that will tell you everything that you want to hear because you think it's not you, it's everyone around you. Or every situation around you and you keep leaving yourself out of the story right you know how i know when i see a marriage in trouble when one of the spouses comes in and say i just want my wife or i just want my husband to make me happy they can't make you happy that's unrealistic you know what a marriage is a marriage is two sinners full of iniquity transgression and sin Living in a fallen world and trying to make it. Are you encouraged yet? (laughs) I'm amazed that any marriage outside of those that are centered on Christ make it at all. (laughs) Because we are fundamentally flawed. Now, that, you should love your spouse, you should try to serve your spouse, you should do all these different things. That's true. But don't put them in a position of trying to make you happy. That's not fair, and it's not possible. Second half here. The Lord saw it, verse 15, and it displeased Him. And the ways there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and and wondered where there was no one to intercede. Here is what God is saying. He's looking around at the situation in Israel and there is no one in a horizontal place for hope to be found. No one is able to give you the hope that you are seeking. There is not one person in Israel that can bring to them what they need. Israel is standing and they are looking at a wall that they need to scale. They can't scale it. They can't figure out how to scale it and they are at a point now of utter hopelessness and that is exactly where God wants you to be. He will systematically blow out every little candle in your life that you try to use to light your way and bring your own hope. Some candles you've lit yourself. Other candles that other people hold to try to light your way for you. He will blow them out until you are stumbling around in the dark, completely blind as if someone trying to find the light switch in the middle of the night. Here's what he does. He tells us in His Word here, He doesn't leave us in this condition, but He makes a way. Look at the last verses here, 16. The Lord saw it, displeased Him, then He said, there's no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered, there was no one to intercede. Then His own arm brought Him salvation and his righteous upheld him. Do you know what another term for Jesus Christ is? Another title for him? It's the arm of God. I don't know if you've ever been in a point of distress and somebody's put their arm out for you, but it makes a huge difference. If you've ever tried to climb into the back of the boat after skiing and your legs are jello, but that arm of help makes the difference between you getting out of the lake and you staying in the lake and being dragged back to the dock. Jesus here is the arm of God. He put on righteousness as his blessed, blessed, blessed breastplate. I'll get it right in a minute. As his breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak according to their deeds so they he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repay his enemies to the coastlands, coastlands. He will render repayment so that they fear the name of the Lord from the west and the glory from the rising of the sun. He will come like a rushing stream with the wind of the Lord drives and the Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord." Here is is what he's telling us, right? The problem with me is that I don't always see sin as sinful, and I don't always see evil in myself. It's always someone else. It's always someone else's fault. We're, We're tempted sometimes to question God's goodness, and when we do so, at a fundamental level, we're damaging spiritually where we need to be. You don't run to somebody that you doubt If you think this morning God is withholding some kind of goodness from you, He may be making you uncomfortable for a specific reason so that you will turn to the only place that you can find hope this morning, and that is the arm of God. That is Jesus Christ. You see, these verses here, these are verses of prophecy of the coming baby, of the scene in Bethlehem. Verses 16 through 20 here predict the cross of Jesus. These verses are actually an announcement of the cross that will come because on the cross, the justice of God and the amazing grace of God kiss Because in that moment, the justice of God is melted out against Christ instead of against us. And he bears the anger of God and he takes the punishment for our iniquities, for our transgressions, and for our sins. And so on the cross, the one who is hope brings together justice and grace and hope is returned because the moment when justice and grace kiss, we are delivered and we are helped with our deepest problem, that dark brokenness inside of us. The question this morning is this. Have you taken the arm of God? It is extended to you this morning. You are dark and broken inside and you have no way out on your own. And in the midst of that, just like the song the creative team did this morning, the old man that took by the hand, so the arm of God is extended to you this morning. Will you receive Christ? Will you have the only true hope there is to have, and that is hope in Him and in Him alone? Jesus said this, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. Here's the reality of promises Jesus makes. If it's true he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven, it also stands that everything we need to get from where we are now to that place he's prepared for us, he will give us the grace for every step of the way. So, as we move forward in Christmas, we enjoy the light and the holiday. Let's remember why Jesus really came to extend God's arm and to extend His own arms on the cross, and in so doing, lighting the way so that we can be with Him forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for making this way for us. Thank you for being the arm of God and extending to us when we could not extend an arm up that is long enough to reach you. Lord, help us this morning to keep the promises that are laid out here in our hearts in front of us, to not decorate dead and decaying souls, with lights and glitter at this time of year but instead to lift with our eyes to Jesus Christ in the only true hope that there is lord we pray and ask these things in jesus name amen